Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. Today, Roger reviews why our market looks healthy while our economy is not, including more on employment and unemployment. These days, I'm happy to keep our focus on the economy and jobs rather than politics and political speeches. I'm sure you understand. Although long-term government policymaking is highly important for long-term economic growth, our attention continues unabated at preparations that we should think about in navigating the balance of this year and next year. Simply said, we know that very few are able to sit out all the uncertainties waiting for stability to return, at least stability in some form. We must continue to make family and jobs-related decisions on a daily basis with a focus on our own risk reduction while trying to improve lifestyle. Today, we discuss facts indicating our recovery from the March lockdowns is pretty much over, I'm really sorry to say. We're left with a stagnant economy and a worsening employment situation for the balance of this year and 2021 after we get through the holiday period. There's normally high seasonal holiday hiring, and that goes away in early January. The same is pretty much true for the United Kingdom, the European community, Asia, and particularly the emerging market countries. In brief, the world is on life support with massive amounts of new money creation attempting to keep some semblance of stability. A successful vaccine will have a positive impact on 2022, but increasingly that's not likely for the majority of 2021. So buckle up for a bumpy ride. With respect to the jobs markets, the stock market, and the bond markets, we'll get into some important facts that unfortunately support this not-so-positive near-term outlook. During 2021, The world's central banks will try to avoid another serious economic downturn, in addition to where we are now, by keeping interest rates close to zero and new money creation, which is importantly used to buy new government debt that most all governments around the world are going to have to issue. The money creation will again accelerate and ultimately create new and serious inflation threats. Again, the cost-push kind of inflation rather than the excessive demand type of inflation. We're starting to see that now. My own position, as you know from prior podcasts, has argued that no matter who would win the national elections, we would continue with economic issues of major consequence, including these. A record high debt, so high that no reasonable repayment is likely, particularly with respect to the federal government debt and also including city, state, and county deficits that continue onward, requiring more new bonds to be issued. Overall business bankruptcies continuing to trend higher than the 08-09 Great Recession at its worst levels. And we continue on looking at the destruction of group meeting venues, and we'll comment on this uh, again, including restaurants, convention centers, and movie theaters. One certainly can't blame the Fed for not doing enough to stabilize markets during the COVID crisis. The Fed has expanded its balance sheet by over $3 trillion this year alone. And month to month, I think people don't realize this or think about it, but month to month, the Fed continues to inject $120 billion in liquidity. And and this is 
pretty similar to what's happening with the European Central Bank and the Bank of England. The injections of liquidity every month continue on, and uh, particularly with the U.S. Central Bank, which is also buying corporate bonds and junk bond exchange-traded funds. The Fed balance sheet, if you look at that closely, as I do, reached a bit over $7 trillion, went down during April, May a little bit, but now is back up at record levels as the Fed continues to pump money into the economy. As an aside, in case you're asking why the Fed continues to confuse markets with the economy, in other words, keeping the markets pretty healthy while the economy is not healthy, the answer is simple. And we can just look at one metric. The value of financial assets in the U.S. economy is now at a record of 620% of the gross domestic product of the United States. And for the Fed, the capital markets are the functional equivalent of the economy since a market crash would destroy the highly financialized U.S. economy. And and, and they really cannot allow that. And I mentioned over a 600% ratio of the private sector financial assets to gross domestic product. If we go back to the 1990s, that ratio was about three, 300%. And during the 08-09 Great Recession, it reached 450 to 500%. And now it is over 620%, and it's going straight up right now. There's no leveling off even indicated, and you can appreciate that by hearing the stock market is close to its all-time highs, if not in excess of prior highs in some cases. Bond markets continue to have effectively 0 to 1% interest rate yield for government obligations. You can have a sense for that, but meanwhile, while that's going on, the gross domestic product has been going down. And I expect for the fourth quarter, once it's reported, which will be weeks after the beginning of the first report will be weeks after the beginning of the new year, that there will be a very small change in the gross domestic product. Might be positive 1%, might be negative 1%, but I suspect it's going to be closer to no real change. And that's kind of where we are. And with the U.S. budget deficit hitting $3.1 trillion last year, the expectation is that we will be again, in excess of a $3 trillion deficit this year. And what does that mean? That means that the U.S. government is going to have to issue $3 trillion plus the budget deficit without the additional financial support. So the U.S. government will need to issue 3 to $4 trillion of new securities, and it will have to refinance the securities that are coming due next year. And specifically, Bank of America looked carefully at the Treasury supply In other words, the amount of treasury securities that have to be sold next year. And it turns out that if we look at the third quarter of this year that we just ended, for which we have data, and we go through the fourth quarter of next year, so we take a little bit more than a year, the treasury supply will be over $8 trillion that has to be financed. And it's logical that large corporations and the large banks and large insurance companies may park money in U.S. Treasury bills, which are a very short-term duration. But a lot of the refunding is going to be longer term. The U.S. Federal Reserve is on track on its present policy to be purchasing, let me say, more than $100 a month, and that's not going to be enough. $100 a month is a little bit more than a trillion a year. Numbers are huge, aren't they? more than a trillion a year. 
and the need to raise over $8 trillion of rollover U.S. federal debt. I'm not including cities, states, or counties. This is only the federal government. So this, uh, the situation is going to be much more pronounced than what I'm talking about. But just the federal government, as I mentioned before, China has not been purchasing officially U.S. Treasury securities for the past couple of years. Japan is pretty much on a plateau. The European community states are hardly in a position to be purchasing many more tra new Treasury securities. So the the Federal Reserve is going to be the default buyer at these government auctions, and it wants to keep the interest rates as close to zero as possible. So massive amounts of new money creation, I expect, from the Federal Reserve. So we may well exceed $10 trillion on the Fed balance sheet from today's 7.1 or so. And this money creation, it continues on and on. If the Federal Reserve only monetized half of the new and rollover Treasury securities over the next year, that would still be $4 trillion. The amounts are huge. In addition from all of that money creation, we have the expectation, and again, I mentioned no matter which party would get in power, but the expectation that there will be another stimulus package, and it may be more in the neighborhood of $2 trillion with the Democratic position, and maybe $1 trillion with the Republican position. Again, I don't want to get involved in politics. It depends, importantly, which party controls not only the presidency, but also the Senate. The likelihood of a stimulus package, although delayed from last year from what the Anderson School built into their forecasts, is expected to occur. And that's going to be another one to two trillion dollars of new debt that is going to be pumped directly into the families and family businesses to the degree that they can be reached. Existing programs have pretty much run their course on the efficacy of bailouts. And again, we see that uh, this is a global kind of an issue. The European Central Bank continues to purchase about 100 billion euros per month. The Bank of England is equally aggressive and their target is raised in November to 150 billion pounds of support. This is global and all the central banks are essentially creating money to buy stability. If any of this money would be withdrawn for any reason, or if it is not continued, it's pretty much guaranteed that we will go into what could be called a depression next year. So I, I, I don't think any central bank is going to take that risk. And they are much more prepared to take the outcome of inflation over the next several years than they are a depression. So that's kind of where we are overall. And in the interest of time, for the balance of the podcast today, I want to make some comments on the employment-unemployment situation and also comments on the magnitude of support that has indirectly as well as directly been offered to the economy by the Federal Reserve. I'll pick up where we leave off in this podcast and complete the thoughts, particularly on the specifics of the stock and bond market in the following podcast. The unemployment situation is unfortunately stagnant, so it's consistent with the economy. And I do refer you to uh, weekly unemployment reports, at least the state unemployment claims every Thursday morning, where first-time unemployment benefits are announced, and also on a monthly basis. Usually toward the end of the first week of the month, the Bureau of Labor Statistics presents an employment report for the country, which is far more comprehensive, as the state unemployment reports do not include the federal program, 
which has ramped up considerably as state unemployment benefits payments have gone down. Keep in mind there are two major reasons why state unemployment claims would go down. One is good news that more people find jobs and they don't need to continue with state unemployment. That's not really the case generally today. The second reason, which is generally the case today, is that the unemployment compensation term runs out. And you have to look at state by state to see what that term is. Since many unemployment claims were filed in March, March and April, a number of states have unemployment terms that are less than a year, some much less than a year. So these uh, unemployment payments are actually running out for families. And that's compounded by not having another recent stimulus that was expected by many in October. The federal unemployment plans, though, have been skyrocketing in in recent months. So the monthly report is, is kind of a combination as opposed to just the weekly report. And the most recent week is another 700,000 plus Americans filed for first-time unemployment benefits. That has fluctuated between 700,000 a week and uh, just slightly above 800,000 for quite some time now. So the first-time unemployment benefits continue on showing stagnation. And these are people who are just newly unemployed. And more specifically, you can appreciate that when you look at the airlines, the hotels. Hotels are kind of a special case because now a number of hotels are defaulting on their debt, which is another issue that's a little bit too specific for this podcast. But defaults by hotels on debt is becoming an emerging issue. But sticking with the economy uh, and unemployment, you can appreciate that airlines, hotels, restaurants, conference centers, sports stadiums, And all other entertainment venues, including movie theaters, remain closed or they're operating way below financially sustainable levels. I've mentioned this before, but having these large facilities and even relatively large restaurants built for 90 to 100 percent capacity cannot be expected to be financially sustainable if only 25 or 50 percent or so of the capacity is being allowed, which is pretty much the case. Or these days new closures are threatening. And another series of COVID closures seems almost certain. This depends, I I would hope, upon the state as opposed to a national policy. But the vaccine, we are learning more and more, is not going to impact much of 2021. In fact, we're probably not going to know how effective the vaccine is until past the midpoint of 2021, much less have a national vaccination program that's reaching a substantial amount of people who actually want to take the vaccine. There's also a large amount of people who don't want to take a vaccine. 2021 is shaping up to be a pretty negative year, even with some positive assumptions about vaccine. In total, when we're looking at the jobs market, all jobs and careers will require all of us to become more proficient and highly educated about conducting e-business, and remote working. Ironically, colleges and universities have geared up to reach these learning objectives remotely using, thankfully, much improved online and live online platforms and tools. The online experiences are getting better and better, and surveys of students are supporting that. So now is the time to really look at your own profession or your own job and do some basic research how it's changing. 
you can see how it's changing, but using Google and looking more in detail about trends in your job areas would be really well advised and it would help you prepare to retool yourself. And the alternative is not very good. The alternative is facing lower income jobs and higher unemployment possibilities. So now is the time to really get cracking on that, in my view. And a couple more thoughts on labor. The Department of Labor actually had some details that are just worth keeping in the back of your mind. The continuing claims, those are reported on a monthly basis, as I mentioned. Continuing claims, people who continue to receive benefits, still approximately 7 million people month to month. And and I say approximately because there are revisions that are constantly made. But the revisions are always right around the 7 million number. So 7 million presently are receiving unemployment claims. And as kind of mentioned in some prior podcasts, you really need to look also to get a handle on the economic situation. How many people have dropped off of even looking for employment? So if we have 7 million officially receiving unemployment benefits and a lot of employment benefits are expiring, you need to kind of think about the number of people who are no longer measured For example, there are people who have to be employed part-time because they can't find full-time jobs, and that remains also at around 7 million, 6.7 million, actually. So we're now at uh, about 14 million. And add to that the number of people not in the labor force who really had searched for a job and they really want a job, but they stopped looking and they're not counted as unemployed because they were not actively looking for work in the past four weeks or they were unavailable to take a job, you can add about another 7 million. So it's pretty easy to get up to an unemployment and underemployment and a frustrated potential employee total because they can't find jobs of over 20 million people. And that's in a labor force that is approximately 160 million, ideally. So about 15%, 14% of the labor force, they're either getting unemployment benefits, they can't find a full-time job, they want a full-time job, or they stop looking. So that's, that's a very different picture than listening to, gee, the unemployment rate went all the way down to about 6%. That's, it's missing a lot of people because the rate that's published is not inclusive of what I just mentioned. The Federal Reserve, as I mentioned, is doing all it can do. And it's trying to sustain any level of economic growth. Whenever the Fed would withdraw the interventions, which the buying of bonds, the buying of junk bonds, the buying of government debt, the buying of municipal debt, if they should withdraw from doing that, we can expect a pretty quick economic collapse. The debt overhang in our economy is one thing, and it's a huge issue. We've commented on that. But the amount of new debt that's required to keep the economy somewhat stable is a whole separate issue. It's creating issues all of it, all by itself. It used to be before 2008, 2009, we'd have a recession. Some companies would go out of business. The government would retrench where they needed to do that. People would cut back on consumer purchases and maybe automobile purchases, and then it would slowly return or would return on some basis. So recessions used to cure themselves and move on. Now there's so much debt in the system 
there's so much money creation needed just to support the system or keep it from crashing that recessions can't even be allowed. So there's very little, if any, self-correction going on. So the Federal Reserve is stuck with what Mohammed El Arian of uh, PIMCO, which is the largest bondholder in the world, holding trillions of dollars U.S. bonds. Mohammed Al Arian recently stated that the Federal Reserve and the central banks in total are increasingly what he calls a no-exit paradigm or a forever stimulus. A lot of these issues began when the Federal Reserve intervened uh, with the insolvency of Bear Stearns back in the 2008-09 Great Recession. And they just continue to ramp up the needs. And if you really look at this, uh, I am going to include this in the course that begins again in January, the free course that we offer on panics, recessions, and recoveries. But the Federal Reserve, if you look at all of their facilities, their term auction facility, the central bank liquidity swaps, which are very large, the single tranche open market operations, there are about 15 or so programs supported by the Federal Reserve. Approximately $36 trillion has been really pumped into the economy since 08-09. As a result of 08-09's Great Recession and recently, the amounts of money that have been made available for the financial markets are far larger than the $7 trillion of the U.S. of the Federal Reserve balance sheet. Many facilities and many bailouts uh, would would add up to about $36 trillion, which is just in the past 12 years or so, it's one and a half times the size of the U.S. economy. That's been created essentially with new money creation, new obligations of the Federal Reserve. It's just unprecedented. And the result of this is the Federal Reserve is really trapped, as we've said before. And with all the zero rates that have been in place in Europe and the zero rates now, if you just take out reasonable inflation assumptions, none of these scenarios of the central banks providing new money has created real economic growth anywhere. And that's one reason that the Fed chair, Jay Powell, repeatedly pressed Congress for more fiscal support. The Federal Reserve's ability is being questioned to, to keep monetizing or creating enough new money to buy the new debt that's being created by cities, states, counties, and the federal government. So what is needed in his view is a very large stimulus program that puts money in the hands of the households. Unfortunately, that has a long-term implication also of creating a lot of new money that is not based upon production or not based upon sustainability of the economy. It's just basically printing paper. And one final thought, if we look at the stock market, everybody knows it's had quite a run, but if we look at it from uh, 08, 09, the stock market has gone up about 200%. But the real economic growth of the U.S. has gone up only 21%. And that's using government inflation assumptions. If you use inflation assumptions by private research institutions, uh, we've had no real growth in the economy. But the market has gone up about 200%. And that really is a result, in my view, of the Federal Reserve increasing its own balance sheet by 438%. So... 438% increase in new money has really resulted, importantly, at a 200% increase in the stock market in an economy that's really not growing in real terms much, if any. So the, the problem that we continually deal with is the debt, the system leverage, and we've now passed the point where adding debt can be shown to increase real growth. We're adding debt basically to keep the system together pretty dangerous in my view 
And I think I will leave further comments on the stock market to the next podcast because I may get into some areas that may result in this being a very long podcast, which we which we don't really want to do. So thank you very much for your support. We will have a new course offered in January, so stay tuned. And in the meantime, be safe, be well, and be financially careful. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornaden. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.